Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Ekstrin, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt. Once again, in the podcast room with Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Hi, Rick. And Angela Axman. Hi, Rick. And yes, you still are senior pastor. Sorry, I didn't preface that senior pastor. <laughs> Could be changing. No news here, anybody. <laughs> okay. Um, welcome back, and thank you for joining us again in the Heart of a Shepherd podcast. Today, we are going to be concluding chapter 5 in the Gospel of Luke, starting at verse 27, and we're going to be encountering the addition of one more disciple. So far, we know of four for sure. Uh, but I'm going to let you uh, introduce this, Pastor Carl, starting at verse 27. Yep, here we go. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often, often prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. So the NIV begins this section in verse 27, after this, which is a little bit of a change for Luke because he is giving us a sense of chronology here that he doesn't give us in other places. But we do know that what, what's happening here at verse 27 on has taken place after this, the, what we talked about in the previous podcast with the healing of the paralytic coming through the roof. Okay. And we he calls Levi, who's also known as Matthew. Levi, I'm guessing, is would be his Hebrew name, right? Matthew, his Greek name? Well, probably. Okay. Yeah. That's just a guess on my part. I mean, Levi <clears throat> is an Old Testament name, so that so that, that fits it, with Hebrew, certainly. But yeah. they're one and the same. Yeah. And uh, it's quite a bold move on Jesus' part to add Levi <laughs> into the mix, right? Because <laughs> you don't think he's going to get along with everybody <laughs> just because well, he's a sellout? Well, I got to thinking about this, and as I was writing my, up my notes, I was I wrote that phrase, this was a bold move for Jesus to add Levi or Matthew. And then I was immediately struck with the thought, it was a bold move for him to add me. Yeah. And who am I to say, who's, 
who should be considered a bold move and who shouldn't. <laughs> so I'm kind of rebuking myself in that moment. Yeah. But the fact is he was a tax collector, which immediately made him an outcast amongst his own people because he's working with the Roman occupation. And we don't know that he was necessarily an unethical tax collector like Zacchaeus was, where he was you know, taking more than what he was supposed to. But you've alluded in other podcasts about how this is how tax collectors made their living. They charged a little bit more than what was due so that they could pay themselves. Yeah, depending on the kind of taxes they're they're collecting too. In some cases, uh, what you would do as a tax collector is you would you would bid on a contract. And so Rome got their money up front. You bought the right to collect taxes in an area and then whatever you collected, you kept. So then there's not a whole lot of oversight as far as keeping you scrupulous. And and to add to the reason why people hate you, you were rich to start with because you had enough money to buy the contract. So uh, depending on what kind of tax collector Levi was, there's a lot of reasons why people didn't, didn't like Levi and the company that he kept. We also see in verse 28 something similar to what we saw when Jesus called Simon Peter, because when he said to Simon Peter, follow me, we got that, and they dropped their nets and followed him. Yep, left everything. Without any hesitation. And here we get a very similar response from Levi, because in verse 29 it says, or actually um, verse 28, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And for him to leave everything meant he's leaving his little collection booth, and he's leaving probably a better-than-average style of life mm -hmm. for a first century Jew, especially a first century Jew. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he's, he's still in the business of throwing parties. <laughs> yeah. And and look who, in verse 29, look who he's, who's all there. Mm -hmm. You've got a bunch of other tax collectors, friends of his probably. And of course, now Jesus is there. And I can't help but wonder how much of biting of the tongue was taking place with Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John to be in the home of Matthew, who they probably have spent their whole lifetime hating mm -hmm. for what he did to the Jewish people. And yet there, there probably was very little of that because if Jesus calls him, that means he's now one of us. Yeah, this is the, Jesus spending time with the Pharisees or with the uh, tax collectors and, and then getting in trouble with the Pharisees is a really striking image. And it might be why Matthew gives us that, I'm sorry, Luke gives us that uh, reminder, the after this, because we just saw, yeah. if you remember the last podcast, the Pharisees are starting to show up on the scene and complain about Jesus. And now he's really going to kind of stick it to them because he's with the people that they don't want to see him with. And uh, they take issue with it to the, to the disciples. Uh, don't you see a little bit of hypocrisy in the Pharisees when they are complaining to Jesus that, you know, John never. <laughs> John always fasted, and he taught his disciples to fast. They were no fans of John. No. <laughs> They're just using that little snippet of fact yeah. about John to poke at Jesus a yeah. little bit, which, good luck getting away with that. Jesus is always going to come out on top if you're going to try to lock horns with him on an argument. Yeah. 
And then Jesus uses this analogy. And in, in verses 33 to uh, 39, which is, that's the bulk of our podcast today, we get into some interesting teaching and a little parable that Jesus teaches about. The, well, first of all, the metaphor is the bridegroom and the groom and a wedding and a banquet. And that part, I think many people are pretty clear on. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bridegroom, is the bride. And uh, the banquet is, is life with, with Jesus in, in eternity. But this whole idea of fasting and what does it mean to fast and how does Jesus understand it? Why does he not have his disciples fast as John had his disciples fast? And he explains it with two metaphors or two parables, wineskins and garments, patches. Yeah, yeah well, uh, even before we get to that, just the going back to that wedding image and the, the fasting. So a, fa- a fast is something you do in sorrow or in angst. It's, you know, it's a response of trying to um, kind of cry out to God with your whole being, you know? And so Jesus is like, the, the last time in the world to do that is when you're celebrating with the groom. And as long as Jesus is standing there with them, this is, this is the moment of celebration. The time of fasting is going to be when the groom is taken from them. And uh, that'll happen then when he's going to the cross. And then that's the appropriate time to fast. And, and we see the disciples fasting that in the book of Acts. Uh, we see it as part of the New Testament church. Um, it's appropriate, but it's not appropriate when Jesus is busy walking with them and the kingdom of God is breaking in on every side and the demons are being rebuked and people are being healed and the the poor are the the poor in spirit are receiving good news and all the you know the beatitudes being lived out. Uh, so that's not the time. Uh, and then he moves on to this what you alluded to it, the, the new garment, the old garment, the new wineskins, the old wineskins. And um, I guess the images themselves, if you patch uh and new, take take a new piece of cloth, put it on an old garment. The problem is the old garment has already shrunk, but the new one hasn't. So you wash it, you dry it, and the patch shrinks and it tears, so it doesn't work. And the same idea with the wine skins. Um, the as the wine ferments, it stretches the wine skin out. And so an old wine skin with old wine in it is fine. Yeah. A new wine skin with new wine is fine. But you put new wine in an old wine skin, the skin's already stretched. When it, as that fermentation takes place, it's going to burst. So you can't mix the two. And that's the point. You can't mix the two. So stop trying to patch your religion and add a little Jesus to it. You, ha- you, you, you got to throw the whole thing away and start over with, with Jesus as the foundation of your understanding of your relationship with God. And that's, that's the image that Jesus is going for here. What a great uh, application because so many people do attempt to do just that. Right where I want a little bit of Jesus here and a little bit of Jesus there, but not that part of Jesus, the part that I find distasteful or unpleasant or inconvenient. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us not to do here. Right. The part that doesn't make so much sense to me is the last verse. Hmm. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Yeah. It makes it sound like, well, why would anybody want Jesus if they have this? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, to- I totally remember, <laughs> so I remember reading this, uh, probably all the way back in college, and having that same thought, like, 
It sounds like Jesus is, t- is saying, <laughs> you don't even want to try me. You're, you just, just stick with what you got. You're, yeah. you're, set. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> but that, that, I think that's, that's also part of the point is that it's really easy to be content yep. mm-hmm. and with, without uh, even trying the new, you know, so to speak. And, well, and we can identify with that. Lots of people are like, I'm, I'm good with what I And what, what old I wine often is better. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to age it. I mean, in, yeah. in, in, in real life, I mean, wine itself. Yeah. But I, I kind of went to your, where you landed with that too, is, is that we find much more comfort in what we're familiar with and what we're comfortable with. It's, mm-hmm. I don't want to leave my happy space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it kind of goes back to what we, where we had landed a couple times in previous podcasts where Jesus intentionally left those comfortable places. Mm-hmm to continue the engagements with the world and with the Pharisees and teachers of the law, ultimately to, to Calvary. Mm-hmm. So, and that, and, and so to, you know, put this picture together, you've got the old is good. You've got the Pharisees and they're happy with their laws and we're righteous in our own eyes. And so that's good enough and don't want to, don't want to, um, try to, well, they're not ready to, certainly not ready to throw all that away and just start over with Jesus. But you do have some examples of people who are. Sure. Left everything, everything. So Levi, starting over with Jesus, and that's it. And Peter and James and John, starting over with Jesus, and that's going to be it. And and they're ready to leave behind everything and, and follow Jesus. And so you get a contrast here between the two that's uh, really, really striking. I think of like the bakers in Mongolia. And what they've left behind mm-hmm. to do what they do. They've yeah. left the comforts of the United States of America mm-hmm. and a better health care system. And, mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that they regret for a moment the decisions that they've made to take the path that they're on. Yeah, Just made me think of that when you said what we leave behind or what some people are called to leave behind. Yeah. Can I focus a little bit on verse 31? Because I think people could... 31 and 32, Mm. people could potentially come to a wrong conclusion there. I think Jesus is using hyperbole here, if if I'm not mistaken. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but but sinners to repentance. It it would be wrong to come to the conclusion that there are, in fact, two populations of people out there, Mm -hmm. the righteous and and the sinners. I think Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to realize that they need him as much as the tax collectors and sinners do. Yeah. But he's almost using a little bit of sarcasm to say, I haven't come for you who are so yeah. righteous. Yeah, yeah I, maybe to an extent, uh, there, there's certainly... Jesus is bringing the Pharisees along all, all throughout Luke's gospel, and probably the epitome of that is chapter 15 which we're a long way from there, but you get to the parable of the the younger and elder brother. Yeah. And that's the one where the yes. trap kind of closes and there's no room left for a, a a Pharisee, a somebody who is like righteous in God's sight. There's there's no one good left by the time Jesus finishes with that chapter and that parable. And along the way, I think he's he's continuing to make room for them in his ministry yes. so they can keep staying attached and God willing get to that day when they're ready to leave behind. Yeah the the comforts of their laws <laughs> and their self-righteousness and start over with something brand new in Jesus. We we have to remember verses like um, Paul to Timothy, 
God desires all men to be saved and to come mm-hmm. to an, he and and Jesus on the way to the cross remember he cries out Jerusalem Jerusalem how I long to gather you mm-hmm. but you would not mm-hmm. and he's wailing you know he's he's weeping for Jerusalem and for, he's weeping for these Pharisees yeah and teaches the law because they would not yeah and so it would be wrong to come to the conclusion that Jesus is simply with a wave of his hand dismissing them and right. saying well, I haven't come for you. Right. I think he's wanting them to come to that place that Peter was at uh, on the beach <laughs> after the great catch of fish. Mm-hmm. I am a sinful man. Yeah. That was the posture that Jesus was looking for, and that's the posture he's looking for here. Yeah. So when when he goes back to the the verse that you read there, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He's that that's a, first of all an invitation for them to recognize Jesus is doing the right thing. He's bringing sinners to repentance. And to start to rejoice in that. And we do, we know there are, we see Nicodemus is an example, who is part of this re- religious authority ruling class. Um, we see Pharisees who are part of the early church in the book of Acts. So we know that it works, that Jesus does have some who come out of that population. The Pharisees were adversaries of Jesus, but Jesus was never an adversary of the Pharisees right. or anyone else. He's always for uh, our life and salvation. I think it's interesting too that that um, we're in Luke and Matthew and Mark have the same almost word for word wineskin mm-hmm. discussion, mm-hmm. and um, the one in so in Luke that we just read that one has the the extra line about no one after drinking old wine desires new, mm-hmm. for he says old is good. The other one is the in Matthew. And there he says, um, I'm trying to find it. There he says, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Mm-hmm. He adds that little tag on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the wine and the wineskins are preserved. Right. That way, yeah. Yeah. So it must be a pretty significant concept that he's trying to, Yeah. that God's trying to drive home in his word. I, I, yeah, I really think it it's foundational and it goes back to, to something that we were, we've talked about, but you can't take a little bit of Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. can't just be a good teacher. He can't just be the, the great miracle worker. It's the whole package, which, which requires the Simon Peter. I'm a sinful man kind of confession from me. And so if I'm not willing to go all the way to the depths of I'm a sinful man with no hope apart from Jesus, then I'm always I can try to patch Jesus into my life, but it's never going to quite work. And something's going to keep bursting or tearing, and and it's not going to work until I get down to that foundational level. I'm a sinful man. I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Then God can rebuild on that foundation something, um, well, a life that is that like the built on the rock, which is that's that's a little later in Luke. So we'll come back to that image too. I really appreciated your emphasizing the second half of verse 32 to me to us when you said I've called sinners to repentance because it communicates to us that as Jesus is sitting there and dining with these tax mm-hmm. collectors and sinners he is by no means giving his approval <laughs> to their lifestyle yeah. Yeah. which it seems like that's what the Pharisees and teachers of the law wanted to focus on mm-hmm. oh you're eating with them and I guess in that culture when you eat with somebody that's the highest form of of Flattery. Not a flattery, but it's like 
you're socially connecting with them and yeah it's ex- it's expressing some kind of unity, unity and the right. pharisees had particularly strict yeah. table fellowship rules and so. so they could not separate the the fact that Jesus is with them to from they couldn't go there in their mind that Jesus was also calling them to repentance they saw that as mutually exclusive well if you're calling them to repentance why are you hanging out with them you should be browbeating them like we are. <laughs> um, but it, you know, on Good Hope Road, there's this church. Like, well, I, just I just think that's like you should be browbeating them like we are, because this is how you bring people to repentance. You, right. you despise them. Yeah, it's been working for us for so long, right? Um, but on Good Hope Road, there's this church. I want to say it's like in somewhere west of 76th Street. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's got that neon sign. Yeah, yeah. You know what it says? Yeah. Sinners welcome. Yeah, and it it's kind of. It's interesting. It's it's cool because they're taking verse thirty one and thirty two, and they're turning it into a message for anybody who comes through those doors. Look, we know that you're broken. We know that you need what Jesus has to offer, and you can find that here. Mm-hmm. And I think every Christian church has to have that mentality, if not those words. I'm not suggesting that we put a neon sign over the entrance of mm-hmm. the church on Freistadt Road, but. We definitely need to have that in our DNA, mm-hmm. that we are not people who have it all together. Mm-hmm. But we're, we, we're, we're coming precisely because we don't have it all together. That's part of what's great about the, historic, the, the Lutheran liturgy and having a confession of sins every single Sunday. Is you can't walk away with the impression like oh these people think that they're so so righteous and, and holy. Like hey, we all just admit every single week in front of everybody, I'm, I'm a wreck. Yeah. Need forgiveness. This isn't the only place where Jesus expresses this truth about those who don't need a doctor. I think he he kind of alludes to it when he's talking about how there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Mm -hmm. Again, it kind of leaves you wondering, wait a minute, are there that many people? There's none. I think that's Jesus's point. Yeah. We'll get to that in Luke 15. Yes. yes. (laughs) But that is, I think that is a struggle for us as people. How to, how to handle the, the knowledge of sin without accepting the sin, condoning the sin, like, Mm -hmm. um, Oh, it's a a real struggle. yeah. Yeah. You are, we really are wanting to love the person. And not the, we're not loving the sins of the person, but yeah. we're sin. Sin is sin. It's you're either perfect or you're not. Whatever, the sin is. We all we all fall short. We're all imperfect, and our sins are obviously different all across the board. But we we are all separated from God because we're not perfect. Yeah, and it's. I think that's a huge struggle in in all of our churches really is how to how to make people feel loved and not that they're um having to meet a set of requirements before they can come in the door and be loved right i think and i think the if well if we just look at jesus i he embodies god's word so when like paul says in romans hate what is evil he does but at the same time he loves he loves his enemies he loves the, the, his neighbor he loves everybody and that that i would just hold those two goalposts up 
I want to hate what is evil and I want to love the people. And and how that works itself out in practical like situations is going to be different at different times for different people in different situations. But if my if my my goal is to be in my heart genuinely hate the thing that's evil and genuinely love the person the way that God loves and then just kind of step into the mess with confidence that God is going to work through that because I you know I can't I can't provide guidelines or you know, this this is the right way to do it for every situation it's different no. it's too different uh, I think in the first century there were certain things that the Pharisees did to lord it over everybody else there was fasting there was tithing and we don't do a lot of either any, anymore mm-hmm. in the church. But w- there are other things that we do that we tend to... Both are still recommended, just to be clear. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but the, what I was going to say is that there are other things that we do that we typically use as weapons against other people. We use our righteousness as a weapon mm-hmm. to you know, kind of create a... It's, it's what you were speaking to, Angela, about why... Why is the church still such an intimidating place for mm-hmm. somebody to come in and feel welcome? And mm-hmm. I think it's a sin we all need to confess um, because we tend to be, I tend to be very pharisaical. And I, I need to acknowledge that and ch- and ask God to change me, mm. right? Yeah, all of us. So, do. Pastor, any final words on this? Well, I'm, I'm trying to turn my mind again towards the the heart of a shepherd. And I think uh, some of what we're talking about as far as um, genuinely deeply loving sinners, but also utterly rejecting sin and, and hating sin. And what that, as those things work themselves out, what happens is you you find yourself uh, seeing people as victims of their sin rather than as you know, irritating people who should stop sinning <laughs> to make your life easier, you know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, if you're a parent and you're like, your kids are not perhaps honoring their father and their mother the way that they should be or whatever it may be, uh, that kind of attitude, that sense of I'm going to love them deeply and and I'm also going to hate what is evil uh, should work itself out in some, some places where you start to, you, you approach the behavior rather than just like, I'm going to try to stop the behavior you actually want to work on the heart kind of issues and have the conversations that help them understand how these how evil harms them and that they're not happy when they're behaving the way that they are or whatever it is and so i think there's maybe something to be to be um drawn from that and i think also the the call sinners to repentance is also something that we miss sometimes in our parenting and we just go for change the behavior without actually working towards that repentance of the behavior, recognizing, again, this is harmful to me, this is an offense to God, and uh, that uh, you'll you'll be surprised how much of a difference it makes in your parenting when it becomes about their relationship with God instead of just about your rules being obeyed. Mm-hmm. transforms everything. So for parents, I think those are applicable, and certainly in other contexts too, um, you know, even in yourself. <laughs> Hate what is evil yeah. is is also still an applicable phrase to think about. Jesus keep eat eat with the sinners, but he was still working towards repentance, and and so if I'm going to ask him to eat with me, that he's going to be working me towards repentance. And God's word is the I mean that's the best place. Mm-hmm. If somebody's struggling, 
read his word, even if you disagree with it, even if <laughs> if you think it's dumb or whatever. That's that's where God is going to speak yeah. to that person and yep. build a relationship with them because you you saying, well, this is what the Bible says. Well, they hear it as this is what you think. Mm. This is your opinion or this is your judgment of me. Mm. That's not it. I Go straight to like, take yourself out of don't be the middleman. Mm. Read mm. God's word and, and just see what he has to say to you because yeah. God does, his word does have power. That, that's, and, yeah, that's a great observation. I'm thinking as a parent, I know how to do that. And as a pastor, I know how to do that. As like a friend, as that that's that's where it gets a little bit harder, and there there I think comes starts to come down to scripture that's actually memorized, being able to just speak it, because they they may not be real patient with you if you're like, hey, I think it's somewhere in Luke eight. Let's <laughs> you just hang on a minute. <laughs> I don't know how that would go, yeah. but um, I think it's a great observation. Take remove yourself as the middleman, and help it to become between them and God. Good place for us to stop. Thank you all for joining us again in the heart of a shepherd. And um, we just pray again that uh, tell, tell your friends and neighbors and family members to check out this podcast if they haven't yet. We would love to keep expanding our audience. And we also enjoy hearing from you. So if you've got feedback for us, for Pastor Carl or Angela or myself, we welcome that as well. Until we uh, see you again next time in the podcast booth, may God bless the rest of your day, the rest of your week, and we will see you all again here next time.